Hey, welcome to the podcast of The Kelly Gutierrez Show for Friday, February 5th, Super Bowl this weekend. We'll talk with Rick Zamperin about what to expect from the big game. And if you haven't heard, the province is investing $2 million in a new product that is aimed at detecting COVID-19 in the air. We are going to talk to the CEO of Control Technologies about how this invention works and how quickly we could have it working for us. But first, I want to start out with the big story of the day beyond the Super Bowl, and that is the fact that uh, Trudeau has dropped the majorly dropped the ball when it comes to our vaccine um, procurement. Toronto Star is reporting that 42% of respondents to the Abacus poll lately said the government was doing a poor job or terrible job at ordering vaccines. 19% point increase in the sentiment since last January. 48% now say the government is doing a poor or terrible job in getting people vaccinated in a timely fashion. I was just shocked that Tina Trujani in her newscast there said that Yesterday alone, the U.S. vaccinated more people in one day than we have in our entire vaccine strategy so far in one day. And think about their population. Um, so 48 percent now say the government is doing a poor or terrible job in getting people vaccinated in a timely fashion. That is 17 points higher than the proportion of people who felt that way in January. And Dave, I believe we have a clip of the prime minister. And this is not something that would make me feel confident. I think this is leaning. This is one of the reasons why people are starting to lose faith in Trudeau. Have a listen. These transparency measures uh, will not interfere with uh, shipments destined for Canada. Do you have that in writing? International uh, affairs um, and agreements between uh, nations are based an awful lot on uh, firm commitments made uh, in conversations and shared... Yeah, that pause says it all, doesn't it? Now, the Canadian government is going to receive COVID-19 vaccinations from the global vaccination sharing initiative known as COVAX. This is highly controversial. Here to talk about it is Anime Paul, the leader of the Green Party. Anime, welcome to the show. Good to have you on again. Oh, thanks for having me again, Kelly. Okay, can we start off by getting some perspective on exactly why COVAX was set up and what its goal is? Absolutely. So COVAX was set up by the World Health Organization and uh, the Global Alliance for Vaccination and Immunization. And its purpose was to ensure a supply of vaccines for poor countries that otherwise couldn't get access. So uh, rich countries like Canada paid into it, some in order to uh, get some vaccines for themselves and pay for vaccines for other countries. And other countries like Germany just donated money to it to make sure that Four countries could get vaccinated. Okay, so it, it looks the optics aren't great because we are dipping in and it's like a case of Robin Hood, you know, like or the opposite case of Robin Hood. We're basically we're funding the poor and then we're taking from the poor at the same time. And we're saying, well, I, well actually, we, we, we're going to take that back. Um, but this is something that actually the fund allows for. Right. It's it's not that this is not allowable. It's just that it doesn't look good. Well, that's exactly it. It's not that it's not allowable. We absolutely have the right to do this. So that's, you know, that's that's very clear. But just because you can do something doesn't mean that you should. Uh, when this uh, when COVAX was set up, the idea was that it was going to be the global pool for vaccines so that countries could get them distributed equally and fairly. Uh, it was intended to uh, be an alternative to bilateral agreements with drug manufacturers. 
Uh, and that's not what happened, of course. Uh, wealthy countries like Canada went and, and created their own agreements, and it means that the supply that COVAX has is actually very limited. And based on the estimations right now, poor countries won't be able to vaccinate their populations until 2023 or 2024. So for a country like Canada to be taking vaccines out, even though it can, um, is, is just really bad news, and it's definitely not a good look for Canada at all. Uh, and again, this is just not optics. This is something that puts people in Canada at risk as well. Okay, let's get to um, the just the elephant in the room. By accessing vaccine doses from COVAX, this global pool of, of vaccine to ensure equitable access for all countries, is, isn't that a massive red flag that Trudeau has made a complete mess of this vaccine procurement and rollout plan here in Canada? Well, I can't think of any other acceptable reason for Canada to be taking doses out of COVAX because, again, this is a pool that already has um, is severely limited. It has far fewer doses uh, than it should at this stage. Uh, and we also know that until the whole world is vaccinated, that um, the virus is out there, it can mutate, it can turn into uh, a new variant uh, that our vaccines won't work against. So this is definitely uh, short-term thinking uh, that might hurt us in the long term. And so I can't imagine that Canada would choose to do this unless uh, the government felt like it had no alternative because it's really, again, it's not good for us, it's not good for other countries. And certainly, you know, we don't want to be that wealthy country taking uh, vaccines away from from poor countries that have basically haven't vaccinated anyone yet. Enemy, I want to just see, make sure I, I get what you're saying here. Uh, you're saying that, you know, in the long run, uh, this is probably not smart of Canada because the longer we allow people to go without the vaccine elsewhere where they have a dense population. This is allowing more variants to arise. And if that's the case, we might end up with new variants and mutations that the vaccine doesn't work on. That's right. We could end up right back where we started because, you know, this is a global pandemic. So even if we vaccinate every single person in Canada, if there are countries uh, where people are not vaccinated, where they also don't have, um, they haven't um, immunized their population, then as we can see already, there's several new variants out there. New variants will continue to emerge. The virus will continue to mutate. And we could end up, you know, this is what happens with viruses. You end up with a new mutation uh, that isn't, um, that can't be treated with the vaccines that we have. And so we could end up right back where we started. And this is exactly why um, COVAX was set up, because there's an understanding that, you know, until the whole world is vaccinated, no one is safe. And so uh, this is really um, something that whether it's for our own self-interest or just because, you know, people in Canada, I know we want to do the right thing and I know we want to be good international neighbours. Either way, this was the wrong decision for Canada to take. And uh, in the Prime Minister's position, I wouldn't have taken it and I would have explained to people in Canada why um, this wasn't the right way to go. He's not explaining most of the, the the contracts. I mean, yesterday he he basically turned down the opportunity to just share the information in the contact uh, contracts that we've already secured for vaccines. It's <laughs> look. This is this is uh, this is um, uh, such a, a case of smoke and mirrors. And you know, I can tell every day just from my conversations with friends and family that people are getting more and more fed up. You know, we're we're you know we're growing up here. We can we can take the news, uh, whether it's bad news or good news. We just want to know. 
Uh, we want to know when the vaccines are coming, how often they're going to come, how, when they're going to get distributed. Uh, if there are problems with our distribution or delivery system, then we want the Prime Minister to tell us clearly. Um, the lack of transparency is, is really tough on all of us. And uh, I think people are, are just reaching the end of their end of their, um, you know, their tolerance, their rope in terms of, uh, you know, the, the information that they should be getting that they're not getting. We're speaking with the leader of the Green Party, Enemy Paul. Enemy, uh, yesterday, uh, Premier Legault from Quebec asked Trudeau to provide the, the first ministers with details of the vaccine contracts and, the, and the, what the government has indeed signed. And he refused. And this is according to some people that were privy to the um, meeting. He said it would not be productive to do so. How would transparency be unproductive and for who? That's a great question. <laughs> and I, I, I can say I can't think you know, off the top of my head why transparency, especially about this, uh, would be a bad thing. Um, you know, we have been asking uh, the prime minister to do what he did in the early days of the pandemic, which was to convene regular briefings for all of the parties, because there is no such thing as a Team Canada approach if you're not involving uh, the other parties. Uh, it's the same thing with the premiers, you know, it's they're the ones that are going to have to deliver these vaccines. They're the ones that are going to have to make sure they actually get into people's arms. How are they supposed to design their systems, plan for the future, get everything in place if they have no idea about the basic information of when they're going to get the vaccines? So, you know, if they if we get to March and a bunch of vaccines drop into Ontario, for instance, uh, at the last minute and with a little notice, how do we make sure that people actually get vaccinated in a, an orderly and quick way? So it's very unfair to the provinces, uh, and uh, I hope that the prime minister will change his mind and become a lot more forthright and transparent with the provinces and also with the other parties, because we do want to work together with them on this. This is something that shouldn't be partisan or political. Listen, I'm a cynic, if you haven't already figured that out. And so when I look at someone leaving out information, when I have to try and logistically figure out how I'm going to deliver something, I think, well, it just means that they're not coming through and they're deliverable in time. And so that's where I'm at with this. But let's get back to the COVAX vaccine supply. This is interesting. And I want to touch on this by dipping into the COVAX vaccine supply. I'd love your um, take on what this does to Canada's international reputation, because we have four so long for my entire life been seen as the good guys the helpers does this hurt us it definitely does you know there, there was an article just a couple of hours ago in the washington post about this uh and of course yesterday it was the front uh, page story on the bbc uh this is again we we know that wealthy countries um i'm certainly i'm not even questioning the motives wealthy countries um made their own agreements with drug manufacturers to protect their populations, but they they did hoard vaccines, and we do have uh, too many vaccines, and there's only so many to go around. And so uh, to be going into this one place that most of these poor countries can go to to get any vaccines um, after we have taken so many vaccines out of the marketplace in the first place is uh, is just it's just not great. Um, and so yes, you know this is this is not a shining moment from Can- for Canada. We are part of an international community. We're supposed to be taking care of our neighbors, and that extends beyond our borders. Okay, well, International Development Minister uh, Katerina Gould and Deputy Prime Minister uh, Christia Freeland 
both said that COVAX was always a part of Canada's procurement strategy and that the COVAX mechanism is working precisely as designed. Do you buy that? I do not. (laughs) And that is just simply not correct. Uh, The mechanism was designed to pool um, vaccines globally. It was designed to um, it was designed as a way to not prevent but to, let's say, create an alternative to bilateral agreements. So the idea was we're going to put all the vaccines in this pool and then people can um, draw out of them in a fair way. But that is not what has happened. And so it is true, it is absolutely correct that we can take vaccines out, that we have paid in and we can take vaccines out. Mm -hmm. But the vaccines are in short supply in this pool in the first place. One, the CEO of the Global Alliance uh, for Vaccinations and Immunizations, that's one of the, the, um, the consortium uh, for COVAX, he said just two days ago that it hurts COVAX every single time a country that has bilateral agreements uh, takes vaccines out uh, and that he would absolutely prefer that they don't do that. So, no, I don't buy that. And, you know, I, I just know that Canada wouldn't be putting our reputation at risk like this and also risking Canada's um, health right? The health of people in Canada by doing this if we had a better alternative. All right. I want to pivot if we can here and switch the topic for a second, because I think we're crystal clear on where you sit on the COVAX situation and the government's uh, just a buckle when it comes to the strategy of rolling out and, and vaccine procurement. The weekend will be the first Canadian solo artist, and uh, he's, he's from Scarborough to perform at the, at the Super Bowl. What are your thoughts on this? Because you're a Torontonian. How do you feel about this? I sure am. And uh, my my kids will be watching the Super Bowl and uh, they love the weekend. <laughs> so, you know, it's just we, we have so much talent here. And uh, I'm just thinking also in the context of Black History Month, how great it is to see uh, our homegrown grown talent uh, getting that uh, global platform. So I hope he doesn't fall off the stage <laughs> and I hope it's a great performance. And, Does he, you know, it's do, do you know something I don't know? Does he have a history of falling off stages? <laughs> Well, it's just one of those things where, you know, there's been a couple of Super Bowl malfunctions over the years. Those shows are always really elaborate and every time they get more elaborate. So I wish him well. I hope it goes well. I know for sure that my kids are going to uh, to be watching him. And uh, yeah, you know, Canada again, these are the bright spots uh, seeing uh, seeing one of our our local uh, our local boys, um, you know, we say done. They've done good. They've they've <laughs> they've done good. So it's it's great. It's great. And and we definitely need those uh, these days. You know, we just need these yeah. moments of uh, you know just entertainment. And uh, we'll be cheering him on for sure. Entertainment and celebration, because uh, boy, there's not a lot to celebrate lately. Uh, Enemy Paul, it's been a pr- pleasure talking to you as as it was before. Thanks for joining us again. Thank you so much, Kelly. Looking forward to the next time. Take All right, care. me too. Global News is reporting the province is providing $2 million towards an investment aimed at accelerating production and the commercialization of the Made in Ontario Control BioCloud Real-Time Airborne COVID-19 Detector. It's a mouthful. And uh, here to talk about it, Paul Gezi. He is the CEO at Control Technologies. Welcome to the show, Paul. Hey, Kelly. How are you? I'm great. How does your um, Control BioCloud COVID-19 Detector work? Yes, so we have been working on this uh, for close to a year, and the way the technology works, um, it's uh, a wall-mounted unit. It uh, sits about six feet above the floor, and it continuously samples the air. Uh, As the air is sampled, we have a chemical reagent which interacts with the SARS-CoV-2 virus, 
and then we optically flag for that. So in very simple terms, we've taken a lab process that is manual and fully automated that into our technology. Can you explain why it has to sit at six feet high? Is that is that because, uh, you know, the air currents move that way, travel that way? Yeah, why six so, feet? so typically in a room, you know, we've learned a lot about the virus over the past year and the way the virus moves in a room. So we've got, you know, droplets and aerosolized virus that we're concerned about and how it spreads in between individuals. And so if we are sampling air in a room, one unit can cover approximately 1,200 square feet. And if we think about how a room is ventilated, you know, typically you have ventilation at the ceiling uh, level or the, you know, kind of the, the height of the wall level. So six feet is a good area to cover uh, the maximum amount of air uh, in the room. And typically in a room of 1,200 square feet with a 10-foot ceiling, we can sample that entire room in about an hour. How big is the unit? Uh, so the unit is about uh, 14 inches in height. Uh, 12 inches wide and about 10 inches in depth, and it weighs about 30 pounds. Okay, because I, I understand you could use this eventually on transit. Uh, so great applications, you know, we, we say wherever uh, individuals gather where we want to get back to normal. So transit, uh, schools, hospitals, long-term care facilities, uh, restaurants, uh, anywhere where individuals gather where there's concern, you know, and, and we're all concerned about going back to those spaces, air quality, and how do we know we're safe? And so broadly defining, we define our technology as, as viral detection technology. The principal application is SARS-CoV-2, but the technology can change um, through our detection chamber over time to look for other viruses that uh, we may want to look for. Okay, so it's not purifying the air. It's sort of like a smoke alarm. It's sensing something in the air. How does it? How is it able to, without getting too uh, maybe sciency on us, uh, how's it able to detect that there's there's COVID in, in the room? Yeah, so look, I would say the best way to explain it, uh, because we've got a number of patents, we have four patents filed now, three in the U.S. and one in Canada, is uh, we've taken a lab process where you would say, okay, I'm going to the lab, I'm going to test if the virus is present. We've automated that. So we have a chemical reagent, uh, which interacts with the characteristics of SARS-CoV-2. Uh, and once that interaction happens, we optically flag and identify that the virus is present and the technology is an overtime technology and we're continuously sampling the air using uh, very specific sampling pumps and sampling techniques to draw the air in and to analyze that air uh, every time it's drawn in. How are you alerted to the fact that COVID might be in the presence of, of, of people? Yeah, so once there uh, is enough uh, virus in the uh, biocloud that we've detected, we have a silent alerting system. Uh, which can be uh, facilitated through uh, text or email uh, to the facility manager or whoever is in charge of that space. Is that because we don't want to panic? We don't want an alarm sounding and have people freaking out? I think you're exactly right. I think the approach is um, if, you know, if it's present, what do we do? And, um, you know, uh, you know, if you think about where we kind of um, are having challenges in the economy today is uh, we're getting vaccines. You know, we have testing. Uh, contact tracing is a problem because it's it's hard to identify where the virus started. And, and um, if you're contact tracing two or three weeks after an event, it's extremely difficult. So we want to localize and be alerting uh, for the virus sooner to enable faster contact tracing, uh, which fits into the whole architecture, you know, a better testing of vaccines and knowing earlier from a detection point of view. And so that's why we use a silent alerting system. The, the COVID biocloud, it is a, this, this controlled biocloud bio is, is made in Ontario. It's a huge success story 
for you guys, but uh, more than 85% of its components are also made in the province. Was this a conscious effort by your company when you were looking to build the device? Yeah, it was. We really spent a lot of time thinking about, uh, you know, this is a made in Ontario uh, solution. We want to, as much as possible, source locally and nationally. Um, there are some uh, specific components uh, that are, are not manufactured here, difficult to get. Uh, but the idea was, you know, we were going to manufacture, uh, we're an Ontario-based company, a Canadian-based company, and we wanted this to be an Ontario-Canadian-made solution. Uh, so we're very proud of that. Did you have um, the idea that you would might you might have to approach the government for funding like you did uh, when you put this together, when you said, okay, well, let's let's try and get Canadians employed here. This would make us more um, palatable when it comes to procuring government funds. We did think of it, but the way we thought of it was the initial funding we received for the advanced testing came from the National Research Council of Canada, which is federal. Uh, so once the National Research Council, they provided 500000 uh, of funding for commercialization and also uh, testing for independent lab testing. Once that happened, uh, I think the interest from the Ontario government was there. Uh, they asked us you know, to move the ball down the field, so to speak, uh, and get further into the commercialization production, which we did. And um, so I think, you know, having the government involved is great for many levels. You know, one is support. The other is uh, procuring, having jobs here and having access to supply chains uh, and also the interest. Uh, some of the challenges that we need to solve with the pandemic directly relate to, you know, spaces that the government is involved with. So schools, hospitals, long-term care facilities, et cetera. Right. So that your device could be used in all of those buildings, which is amazing. It's a huge game changer. Uh, to be able to, and I would imagine it will help with contact tracing. So I think you know what we're really excited about is if we think about the specific challenges we face with this pandemic, uh, early viral detection in the spaces we gather is part of the solution. Of course, it's not the only solution, but if we have a full suite of technology and more technology, you know, all the way from testing and vaccines to better contact tracing and earlier detection. I think that's very important. So if I use an example, if we're going to improve HVAC systems in schools, as an example, let's have a bio cloud so that we can detect if the virus is present uh, to support those HVAC upgrades. And so I think we fit into the entire architecture of more technology to solve the pandemic. Paul, um, does the province's infusion of cash, does that affect the production and speed of getting the units out to the regions uh, for public and private use? Yeah, so we're actually, uh, you know, very pleased um, that the government uh, made the $2 million investment. And really, from their perspective, it's about acceleration, mm -hmm. uh, faster production. Uh, it allows us to move more quickly, to add more jobs. And these are skilled jobs uh, that, um, you know, are part of uh, manufacturing and also having the uh, units, not only for Ontario, but also we have now customers in the U.S., and uh, lots of global requests uh, outside of North America. So that's very exciting. You're based in the London area. Can you just give us an idea of how many jobs this is going to translate into in the, into the, uh, the near future in the London area and beyond? Sure. So at full production, a capacity of 20,000 units per month, uh, it's 250 direct and about 750 indirect. Uh, so that's a pretty significant number. And the good news is we've already been bringing people back that, um, you know, with the pandemic slowdown last year, uh, a number of jobs have now come back. And so it's a very exciting time for us to be able to be growing during this time, but also solving the challenge that we face. 
You've called this uh, the, the COVID-19 detector. You've called it the control bio cloud because it can be used for several pathogens detecting things like viruses, which COVID is, and bacteria and fungi, which makes me think of, you know, black mold and how people have been saying that's a major problem. Um, moving forward, taking, you know, COVID out of the uh, situation here, hopefully we'll be there one day. Can you see a day where just like carbon monoxide and smoke detectors, we have bio cloud um, machines in our home as a standard feature and in public buildings? That's a great question. It's something we talk about a lot internally. And so we see one biocloud, you know, in every building and in every home. And what we've designed, if you think of a Keurig uh, coffee machine, we have a detection chamber, which is replaceable. That detection chamber holds the chemical reagents, uh, which are non-toxic, uh, that interact with the virus. So SARS-CoV-2 requires a very specific reagent developed with our independent labs that attaches uh, and identifies uh, optically with the virus. A mold would have another detection chamber. Uh, Legionnaire's disease would have another. So from that perspective, we could have multiple uh, Keurig system uh, called, you know, detection chambers that are replaceable. And um, for sure, we can identify all sorts of viruses and pathogens uh, subject to the detection chamber. All right. Uh, you brought up Keurig. So I have to ask this question because <laughs> there, you know, we, a lot of people are like, yeah, it was a good idea, but it's so environmentally unfriendly. Are right. you working on um, looking at, at ways to keep this uh, an environmentally friendly project as well as you move forward? Because it's a big deal. Yeah. So we do think about that a lot. And so all the components that we're using uh, from our perspective, uh, we want them to be recyclable. Uh, it's not always possible because some of those are electronic components that are difficult to, but the majority of the components in the biocloud are recyclable. And um, so that's also important to us uh, from a sustainability perspective. Best case scenario, when do you think we'll start seeing uh, controlled bioclouds actually being used in uh, in our surroundings? Yeah, so I think, you know, we've got a number of orders, uh, customers lined up, uh, product uh, I would say shipping or very close to shipping, uh, pilots uh, running. And, um, you know, in terms of, I can't speak for the government, you know, they'll, they'll make their own decisions about procurement. But from a customer perspective, uh, you know, we're going full steam ahead. All right, Paul, well, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Paul Gezi is the CEO at Control Technologies. I wish you uh, the best of luck with getting this up and running it out to the public as soon as possible. Thank you very much Thanks for joining so much. me. Thanks so much. Thanks. Have a great day. Bye-bye. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, Paul. So this is going to be Super Bowl 55. The interesting thing about this year's Super Bowl, it will feature um, two quarterbacks that have in the past won uh, a Super Bowl. Now, arguably, the Chiefs quarterback has only won one one time before, Tom Brady. What is this? Is his, uh, He'll be going for a seventh Super Bowl win? Correct. This is Tom Brady's unprecedented 10th appearance in the Super Bowl. He has already won six of these, so he's six and three Overall, he's won more Super Bowls than any other NFL player in history. Uh, He's 43 and still is playing at a very high level. And for the first time in National Football League history, at least in the Super Bowl era, the uh, host city, in this case, Tampa, Florida, they have their hometown team in the game. It's never happened before. This is Tom Terrific's first year in Tampa Bay. Mm-hmm. And uh, so far, so good for the Buccaneers. They are in the championship game, and they're taking on the defending champs. So if you're the NFL, this perhaps is the dream final uh, between these two teams. 
Yeah, I was uh, watching some video about this uh, store in Naples. It's a grocery store where people weren't wearing masks because there's no mandatory mask requirement for Florida. Is there a threat? I don't mean to bring this all back to COVID, but let's do that right now. Is there a threat that this Super Bowl in Tampa Bay could be a super spreading event? Well, I mean, it could if if they're not following proper protocols, but to be in the stadium. So if you're a fan going to the game um, and, and these aren't your regular fans because tickets are, you know, 8,000, 15,000, 80,000, depending on where you are in the stadium. Uh, you, you, Yeah. Oh, yeah. You have to wear a mask. Uh, you can't get in if you don't. Um, there's a limit of four per kind of section or per row. Uh-huh. Um, so the NFL is re- really clamped down, as as they have all year, in terms of you know allowing fans in the stands. There's only so many; they have to follow the rules, otherwise they are gone. You know, prepaid concession stands, all that kind of stuff is uh, is taken care of. So the NFL has done, I think, a pretty good job in limiting the spread of COVID within the stadium kind of structure. Um, and from a from a, a player perspective as well, you know they're being extra careful and not you know uh, putting themselves in a position to get COVID. There is a uh, um, uh, I don't know if it's a funny story, but it could have been a disastrous story for the NFL and certainly the Kansas City Chiefs. The team barber was called in because hey, it's Super Bowl week. We got to look great. We're all going to get haircuts. And this team barber attested negative a few times, but lo and behold, during a haircut, a test comes back to say that. He, in fact, had a, uh, a positive test. So they had to scrap the barber shop session in which, you know, 20 guys were kind of waiting in line and uh, they had to go through the proper protocol. So there's two players right now from the Kansas City Chiefs who will most likely play in the game because this happened about a week ago. Um, but that, that could have been disastrous for this team. Wow. That's unbelievable. Yeah. I want to get back to your $80,000 ticket. What is that yes. seat made out of? <laughs> it should be gold and you should take it with you, but it's not. Hey, this is this is the Super Bowl. This is, uh, you know, traditionally where uh, the elite go. And that's why, you know, more often than not, there's not a great kind of fan uh, presence or or an optimum sound from the Super Bowl in terms of, you know, you go to a Bills game or any game during the regular season or even in the playoffs and the hometown team as their hometown fans. For the Super Bowl, there's fans coming from all across uh, the world, really. And they have, you know, different allegiances. Not everyone in uh, Tampa, Florida this Sunday is going to be a Buccaneers fan, uh, and nor will they all be Chiefs fans. They're going to be fans of, you know, the Bills, the Broncos, the Dolphins, the Patriots, whatever. Um, and uh, obviously they've been saving their pennies uh, over their lifetime to, to go to this game. And the good news is, so there's the, the maximum capacity at Raymond James Stadium, I think it's like 80,000. They're allowing 22,000 fans into the stadium, 7,000 or 7,500 of which will be uh, healthcare professionals, frontline workers who are being uh, offered uh, a ticket for free. So that's a great Amazing. gesture from the National Football League. Yeah, it certainly is. This is the first time in 37 years, we talked about this last weekend, that Budweiser won't uh, air an ad during the Super Bowl. I do hear, yeah. though, it's like uh, Dan Levy's weekend because not only is he going to be hosting SNL this weekend, but he's also mm-hmm. going to be part of the Super Bowl. He's in an M&M commercial. Yes. Yeah, I've seen the trailer of this. It, uh, I mean, M&M's usually has a really funny commercial, and this looks like to be kind of of that ilk. Uh, all I've seen, I'm not sure if anyone else has seen the trailer, uh, it's, it, it looks like it is a, a gender reveal party in the backyard. You don't see anyone, but you just see this kind of blue explosion go off. So uh-huh. I don't know if it's a new blue M&M or a Dan Levy kind of M&M, yeah. uh, but it should be fun. 
All right. Um, that's that's interesting. I've got Chris actually working on that off air. I said to him, get that. I need it. So we'll hear. Get Dan uh, Levy on the phone now. Yeah. Yeah. But I got to correct you there because I do it, too. It's it's Levy. It's Eugene Levy's son. How dare you? You're Hamiltonian oh, yeah, that's right. as well. Yes, that's right. Come on. I, I think it comes from reading the name. When you read the name, you yeah. want to say Levy. When you know it's Eugene Levy's son, you're like, ah, it's Levy. Yeah. Um, 72% <laughs> of Americans say they are unlikely to host or attend a Super Bowl party this year. That actually is great news, isn't it? Yeah, I'd like to see it a little bit higher. But, you know, uh, if you're in a state that doesn't have the same restrictions as in other states, you're going to take advantage. And, and, and maybe you're not of the belief that uh, you're going to get COVID at a Super Bowl party. I'm not sure how that would work. But listen, if if there's someone listening to this in the U.S. or anywhere in Canada is thinking about hosting a bunch of people, don't do it. You know, do it virtually. Uh, obviously, it's not going to be as fun. But uh, listen, we also all have to make these small sacrifices. We want everyone to celebrate Super Bowl weekend safely. So still get your pizza and wings, grab yep. a beverage and uh, and watch the game safely. What do you make of Doug Ford's Super Bowl message? I mean, that's not a bad PR move there. I didn't even hear it. What did he say? Oh, he just basically said, stay at home and, uh, you know, uh, enjoy the game. It's going to be a good one. But it was his way of saying, stay at home and, you know, don't have a Super Bowl party. I mean, that's what you got to do. Uh, yeah. Listen, I, I, you know, I interviewed uh, Chase Claypool, the Pittsburgh Steelers the other day, and he's uh, back at home in BC and he's celebrating with about five friends. So here's an NFL player who's having a mm-hmm. Super Bowl party, party with, you know, his dad, his brother and a couple of friends. So that's the way to do it. Okay. Um, I want to touch on the, the Chiefs because we haven't even talked about the uh, their quarterback. How do, you know, as somebody that doesn't follow football, obviously myself, and I think there are people out there that, you know, haven't been paying attention. They've been a little distracted by the pandemic. Uh, sure. who, who's favored to win and, and how good is, is the Chiefs quarterback? So uh, the Chiefs quarterback, Patrick Mahomes, is really good. Uh, You know, he is a perennial MVP favorite. He was the Super Bowl MVP last year for the Chiefs. Um, Here's a guy who's only 25. He he already has a a Super Bowl, you know, in his back pocket. And, you know, if he wins on Sunday, there's a lot of talk of, you know, he could be the guy and and Kansas City could be the team that kind of challenges Tom Brady's six Super Bowl kind of record. Um, And, you know, the Chiefs are very good. They've only lost, you know, a couple of games this season. Uh, easily could have won either of those. So this could be an undefeated team. They're that talented. Mm-hmm. They're good on off. They're great on offense. They're good on defense. Tampa Bay is a really good team. The Chiefs are favored by, depending on the sports book, three points or three and a half points. And that's saying a lot because remember, Tampa Bay is playing at home. Uh, there is an aura though that you know, as Tom Brady uh, goes, this this Buccaneers team has you know a lot of confidence. Obviously, playing at home. Um, who knows? To me, it's a coin flip. Either team could easily win, and either team could easily win handle. All right. Did uh, anyone expect Brady to go to Tampa Bay? Um, I think there was a number of suitors in terms of, you know, when when I think other NFL teams realized that Brady wasn't going to go back to New England. And let's not forget, this was the Patriots' decision. This was Bill Belichick basically saying, you know, it's time to move on. Tom is, you know, 43. Um I think there was a number of teams that he could have gone to, but I think, you know, looking at the structure of Tampa Bay, um, you know, they have a very young and active defense, number one against the run this season. Uh, You know, it's a warm weather city, obviously. Mm -hmm. So it's uh, much more conducive for a 43 year old to play a contact sport in a warm weather state, as opposed to, you know, ice cold Boston in, uh, you know, at this time of the year. So I think it was a smart move for Tom Brady. They have a number of offensive weapons, a really good offensive line. Uh, Bruce Arians is a great head coach in terms of Tom's skill set. You know, it's a match made in heaven. So it's worked out uh, obviously quite well for, for Tom. 
Rick, how early do they decide who's going to host the Super Bowl? Was that in the works, you know, ages ago? Like as soon as last year's Super Bowl was done, they knew it yeah. would be at Tampa Bay. And would that affect Brady looking to see where to go and going, well, you know what? I'm going to show you. I'm not done yet. I'm going to go there and we're going to go for the Super Bowl. Yeah, could, could have been. I mean, Super Bowls are rewarded at least a couple of years in advance. Uh, so New Orleans is coming up. Miami's going to host again. So these things and obviously you know, pre-pandemic, there's there's a lot of planning that goes into it in terms of not just hosting the game, but there's a Super Bowl festival, so it's a week-long, you know, event. Uh, there's the NFL awards that are handed out, you know, in that city as a part of uh, Super Bowl weekend. Uh, as you know, that, you know, the whole week is basically dedicated to the big game, football, um, you know, really encouraging kids to take up, you know, the sport and being active. You know, NFL Play 60 is one of their, you know, marquee kind of uh, promotional tools to get kids outside and active. Um, so, yeah, these these Super Bowls are awarded years in advance. So Tampa Bay has been planning for this a while. And, yeah, it might it might have factored into Tom's equation mm-hmm. for sure, because, A, you know, it's 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 a quick opportunity for him to get back to the big game. But, you know, as we've seen with with Tom Brady, it doesn't matter where the Super Bowl is. He's he's more than likely going to be there. Uh, the weekend's going to be there. I, I don't want to wrap up without talking about the weekend. It's a huge success story for yeah. the Scarborough-born talent. Uh, he, he's been so helpful. I was watching his press conference. I don't know if you caught any of it, but they were asking about how much he has gone to, uh, you know, looked at Tampa Bay specifically because he's going to be there, obviously, doing the Super Bowl performance, and how he has been buying meals for first responders, how he's been helping out yeah. um you know, with the less fortunate. And he said, and I thought it was really classy. He said, you know, it's nothing to me to give the money because I came from nothing. Like I, I have money now, but I didn't always have money. So to give it away, it's not really a big deal. I mean, just a class act all around. And in fact, he's, to my knowledge, I've never heard of anybody investing in their own Super Bowl performance. He's put $7 million of his own money into it. This is a guy who clearly is, you know, dedicated to his craft and, and wants to see it you know, hitting a level that it can. You you stole the words out of my mouth. Class act. This guy is a national treasure, and not not as many people are talking about him as uh, you know. You know, compared to Drake or even Justin yeah. Bieber. But I think after this weekend, I think you know, pardon the pun, uh, he is going to explode onto the scene like he has never had before. Because you know, a Super Bowl halftime show, especially the most memorable ones not necessarily a launch career, but I think launch these musicians, these artists into another stratosphere. So it's happened to, you know, a number of others, good or bad, you know, you can, you can go back to the Justin Timberlake, Janet Jackson fiasco. That certainly propelled them to, you know, another stratosphere. They're all, they were already huge, but they got even more publicity out of that. So I think this is going to be a dynamite halftime show. Obviously there's going to be some limitations. You're not going to have, you know, hundreds or thousands of people on the field that we've seen in the past, but you know, yeah, if he's putting in seven million of his own money, this you know, the NFL is already contributing to that. Pepsi being the main sponsor is throwing boatloads of cash into it. Uh, I think this is going to be an outstanding show. Yeah, well, I thank you, Rick. I really appreciate your time and uh, enjoy the Super Bowl. What are you going to be making to eat to not uh, during the game? My, and we're going to have wings. Yes, my wife's work has a uh, you know conveniently has a sale on wings today, oh, so she's uh, loading up and uh, will be loading up on Sunday. All right. Well, you think you have yourself a good Super Bowl Sunday and thanks so much for joining us. I always appreciate your time, Rick. You got it anytime. Enjoy the weekend. Hey, thanks for tuning into the podcast. Uh, Don't forget you can hit subscribe and we'll be waiting for you on a daily basis. Have a great day.